0: Welcome to Highly Functioning, a show about exploring, understanding, and optimizing the mind from a non neurotypical lens. On this week's episode, we talk about the impact of childhood on how you manifest as an adult. We talk about our own personal experiences of reflecting on childhood events that affect our judgment or personality, the effect of our parents on our worldview, and learning to be okay with the discomfort of change. Key concepts we talk about are defining your identity, the use of thought records as a tool to explore your past, and how it's okay to change multiple times until you find a version of yourself that you like being. As always, thank you for listening. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcasting app. Follow us and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash highlyfunctioning. And if you like our content, consider supporting us at highlyfunctioning.ca. There you'll find bonus content, Q&As, and be able to provide direct input on how you change a show.
1: Hey, David. Hey, Winston. How's it going? Pretty good. Can't complain. Yourself doing well. I'm I'm in Texas now, so there's warmth and freedom. It's pretty enjoyable. <laughs> uh, well, Toronto just got just started going into the high teens with uh, with
0: the cold, so I'm a bit jealous. Um, our topic for today um, is the impact of childhood on uh, and how it affects adults. Mm-hmm. So, what I mean by that is, what are some what are some of the events or, or we're not as we don't give enough, um, effort or we don't give enough gravitas to how much our childhood affects the way that we manifest as adults and the way that we treat others, our relationships and things like that. Um, and I thought, because we've had these conversations multiple times, we could, um, explore that topic and talk about, um, how exactly your childhood might affect, um, things that you do as an adult.
1: Yeah. So this is a topic I find extremely interesting and important personally. Um, I actually recently wrote, and I'm soon to publish an article that sort of is related to this, but it's based on a book that is about this particularly. So I don't know if I've recommended it to you before, um, but it's the drama of the gifted child, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, gifted, not meaning like, you know, exceptional or whatever, but the idea is that all children are gifted. That's the premise in this book. Um, And I think it's, I mean, exceptionally important, right? Anyone who who claims that they weren't impacted by their childhood is just wrong, in my opinion. Um, and basically, the way I think of it, it's like if our minds are machine learning algorithms, and they like interact with data and learn based on the data, the algorithms are set in our young. Uh, life right? right so like basically the way i think of it i mean there, i don't have data to prove this right but like mm-hmm. let's say by the age of four or five your sort of algorithm is set and then you just sort of iterate based on that for the rest of your life unless you the thing that makes us human or one of the things that we can do because we're human is go back and actually work to change those but that's what most people never do and i like that's what i've had to do and i remember sort of the, the crux when I was in the first deepest part of my mental health issues, I had to go all the way back to age four. And I remember a decision I made at age four that I had to change, right? I have view of the world that I had to change going all the way back then. And there was probably other stuff that like, that was set even before then that I don't remember setting. But for me, it was like, because I could, ha- I had such old memories, it was like, if I acknowledge, if I if I personally reach something that I knew I hadn't set, it was easy to dismiss. But for many people, they get like they view that as part of their identity or whatever it is. But so yeah, I think it's an extremely important topic, and it's one that I think a lot of people are really interested in because also on TikTok, my one video that blew up and got like sixty thousand likes or something was recommending this book, The Drama of the Gifted Child. So it's definitely something that resonates with people.
0: And, and I agree. And I think
1: um, a lot
0: of the time we don't, um, at, at least for me, um, one of the things that I don't particularly agree with is the idea that, oh, um, I'm someone who um, who is not easily trusting of people or some people make certain identity characteristics that they have that they think is just intrinsic to themselves. Um, and although I do think there is a case to be made that there are some genetic differences that might help you in certain things or, or make you more predisposed to one thing or the, or the other, I find that a lot of the times, even with myself, um, if I look back at my personality on why I was particularly acted a certain way with certain situations, if I traced it back far enough, like you said, it was the specific event that was seared in my head as a child as I'm never going to do this again. Um, and for me, that was like trusting people. I was always um, a little bit um, a little bit behind in terms of trusting people from the get-go. Like you, some people uh, operate with trust first. And if someone breaks your trust, then then you change. I yeah. always did the complete opposite of that. And it wasn't until I realized like as a kid, um, whenever like I, I went to a school that was all, uh, I was like the one of the only brown kids in, in my entire school. And so like, I was partially bullied as a kid. And sometimes the way, of course, kids do bullying is there might be that cool kid that invites you to go do something or invites you to be a part of something where in reality, it's just, it's just like a ploy to make fun of you. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid, this one, uh, this one, um, I'm not going to name his name, of course, <laughs> uh, did this to me in like third grade. And it, was, like, it like broke my worldview. And it wasn't until I, I, I really started going back, like, when's the first time I stopped trusting people? And it was right away, it came to that moment like, oh, wow, I felt really, really horrible in that moment. And I must have made a decision then that I'm never going to trust people from the get-go and always will be a skeptic. And until I understood that, um, I wasn't able to like be as trusting towards other people or be as be as trusting towards people who um, from the get-go, they, gave, they had all the right characteristics or gave all the right impressions to be someone that you could trust.
1: Yeah, so that's really interesting. And, and I'm interested to hear, other people's experiences with this as well because my my understanding is it's not similar to ours like they don't remember making these decisions like everyone does make these decisions but i was having a conversation with someone recently about how their mind and i think many people's minds sort of turn on and they start having more awareness in their teens right and that's when they would start being aware but for me, there was like a disconnect where I started being aware very early on, but only in like some respects, right? And so it's it like that started at age four. So it was similar. There's two memories in particular that I remember making decisions and they clouded my life for 20 years, right? And these were both decisions I made at age four. And I think everyone has experienced that Less people are aware of the fact that they've done that, right? Because many people at age four, five, six, seven, they're making decisions, right? And often something that objectivism highlights that many people don't, right? There's this uh, there's this debate is it nature or nurture? And objectivism highlights its choice, even at that part, at that age, right? Even though we might not be able to reflect back and understand now what choices we made at age five and why, there was choice, there were choices we were making, and those like settled into what our personality would become, right? Based on those choices. And it's hard for people to understand that, especially if they can't remember it. Whereas I think you and I are have been particularly malleable. We're very willing to change our behavior if we've come to new conclusions because we have more awareness of those decisions. And so we're not like attached to traits that are just us because we remember choosing to be that way, so to speak, more easily than the average person might. Uh,
0: And I love how you bring that up because um, it was a particular thing that I noticed for for me, which was, um, and it came off of reflecting about something that you mentioned before, which is that parents- it's not that parents mold their kids, but, it, and of course you said this in a much more clear and concise fashion, but it's that uh, I think kids change according to their parents or some version of that. Um, do you remember the saying that you had, that you had said it's like um, kids mold based off of what their parents, p- parents are particularly doing.
1: Um, well, I and- don't know exactly how I would say it, but like, I think a, an important related point is many people, the voices they have in their heads are their parents, right? Mm -hmm. Their conscience is their parents. And they like the, the main sort of term is like authenticity versus acceptance. And at a young age, you need to be you literally need to be accepted by your parents in order to survive. And so you shift to meet their needs, right? You change to meet your parents needs, because you need them so much. And if they're not like fully self-actualized guru parents, which almost no parents are, they're not going to know how to meet all of, I mean, it's probably impossible, but they're not going to know how to meet most of your needs and you Mm. end up needing to meet theirs so that they're willing to show you love basically.
0: And um, to, to piggyback off of that, what I found after thinking that through was that majority of What I had had decided was my sort of fuel that kept me going or fuel that made me want to do things, or I guess the decision criteria that was going in my head when I made decisions um, came as a result of the environment that I grew up in. So for example, um, we grew up without very much money um, and I grew up in a neighborhood where I didn't particularly fit in. Um, So I found out that most of my decisions that I made for a large swath of my life was financial oriented and fitting in oriented. Um, and everything had to go back to like, okay, how do I make money? How do I, and like, I just looked at it as if I fix, if like all my problems had to come from money, if I made money, um, all those problems would go away. And if I figured out how to fit in, um, all those problems would go away. And now, of course I realize now that money isn't everything, um, as well as fitting in isn't, is overrated a little bit. Um, it completely changes my worldview of, oh, like I actually have some intrinsic, Uh, motivations about things that I enjoy and things that I value. And I just didn't take the time to go ahead and explore those things. Because as a child, um, I was so influenced by the by the factors or the the environmental things going on.
1: So it's really interesting, because that sort of phenomenon, let's say manifested very differently for me, but it still totally messed up my life, right? Because I so like money wasn't an issue for my family and I never cared to fit in. I always thought I was a special little flower and my mom always told me I was a special little flower. Right. And so we talked we did an episode on imposter syndrome. Right. And I never really had it because I always thought I was literally the best. Right. But I could never meet my own standards. But, you know, we talked about that in that episode. But two things come to mind. And both were like premises that got set in my mind by my parents that I was really devastated when I found out they were wrong. And one was as a kid, and it's kind of a joke, and the other one directly led to an existential crisis, right? So the one that was as a kid was my parents, my mom, and like the females in my family would always say like, oh, you're so adorable, all of the girls are going to love you. And I took it literally, because I took things literally. And I remember I was in grade six or seven, still thinking that, realizing it wasn't the case and going home. And like getting really mad at my mom, like, how could you lie to me? It's like, because I went around the whole time thinking it was true. And that's a pretty like blatant example. But I think for many kids, that's the case. If your parents tell you something, how do you know to question it? Right? And so I did question more than average, but even still, certain things got through. But then the really big one was, what is the purpose of my life, right? Like, what is my ultimate value? That's how I would conceptualize it, right? What is the thing I'm trying to achieve? And I remember, I didn't want to go to university ever, but my dad basically said, I have to, right? Like, I need to, I should go. But I never it never integrated as why I should. I never had a good reason, so I just took it in my mind. I didn't know this at the time as like, oh well, university must be basically an end in itself. It must be good because you know my parents and society is ushering me towards this thing. Um, and what happened then is okay. I got the university degree, and the expectation associated with that was like, oh, I'll get a job that's like my dream job out of university. And I just fell off a cliff because I got the thing and I, I brought it up to my dad. I was like, dad, you've messed me up. You like, you pushed me to have this thing. I didn't understand why I didn't think it was good in my judgment, even as a like teenager. And yet I accepted your view. And then I like fell off a cliff because when I, when I got the thing that you had told me. So I always questioned more of the like logistical stuff that many people don't, but it's I couldn't question the sort of most fundamental thing that framed my whole life basically. Right. So, and like, I never cared about grades, but I never cared because I was going to get to go to university anyways, type thing. And so like, I I don't think the average person knows how fundamentally their parents' views come in. And it's often only when they hit like, you know, their thirties that they start to maybe reconcile their relationship with their parents is also very harmful. And it's very tough because I mentioned earlier, sort of the voices in your head for many people, it are, those voices are your parents, right? When you're telling yourself you're not good enough, stereotypically, that's your dad. When you're telling yourself, oh, don't worry, you'll get to it tomorrow you're perfect anyways, that's stereotypically the mom, right? And it's like, those are the things and it's very effortful to sort of get rid of those and find your own inner voice. Right.
0: And, and one of the things that I think is really important to touch on is that I find that regardless of how you grew up, you're probably going to have some childhood, um, childhood issues or childhood things that you have to go through, no matter how amazing your parents are. Um, and it, it like at least for me, I only found that out when I talked to some people who grew up in different environments or who grew up in different, um, different scenarios. And I found that even with the child that was doing really well, hit like checked off all the boxes and things. And like their parents were great. They supported them. They did all these other things. Um, there's still some, like, there's still some opposite issue that the child might potentially have, like, um, whether it be, oh, like, I wish you had, like, I wish you hadn't been so supportive. I wish you had told me that, like, um, I, I wish, or here, let well, me yeah, that's what example. I said.
1: My like, my mom was too supportive, and it made me think I was perfect, like literally, because I was told that. Right.
0: And the best example I can think of is when you're really good at something, um, and you do great, and everyone gives you such good feedback, saying, "Hey, you should, you're going to be amazing at this sport, or you're going to be amazing at this specific job," and you find out, oh, like I don't actually want to do this, but all of the support around you so great that you don't go ahead, that you don't choose and that you don't diverge and go into a different uh, sort of uh, different role or different career.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And we'll blame our parents for it. Um, even though technically it was, it was our choice and like they were doing the right things and like, you can't blame your parents for it. I just find that over the course of time, um, everybody, regardless of how you grew up needs to go back and think to themselves on, okay, like I need to stop listening to my parents. I need to start understanding that my parents are fallible and parents should also not stress out so much about I have to be perfectly like engineering my child and make sure I'm like the perfect parent and things like that, because you're inevitably inevitably going to screw it up as a
1: result. So I disagree with some of this stuff, right? I I, I think, but I also think I disagree in a way that seems like maybe you contradicted yourself. Cause, but basically, no, I think most parents weren't good, and you can be perfect, right? But it's, it's, it's important to understand what that actually means, right? Because the issue comes from trying to give concrete rules to your children, generally, right? Instead of teaching them how to think in principles, right? That's what we've talked. we've talked about thinking in principles versus like, concrete thinking in other episodes. And to me, that's the essence of what education should do and what parenting should do, right? You need to help your child understand how to deal with the world on their own. And most parents don't want to do that. But I I fault them, I don't think. So it's important to not say, oh, every parent's going to screw up their kid anyway, so don't worry. But it's also like, it's also important to highlight like, no, I do blame my parents, right? Like they, they could, like, I don't like hate them. I don't like not forgive them or whatever. But like, I think objectively they could have been better right? Um, And I think if they would have cared actively, maybe their context was different. And like, you know, we didn't talk about psychology as much in the culture back then and this sort of thing. But it's not like I asked my mom, did you ever buy a book? Did you ever study how to be a parent? No, most people take for granted, oh, I'm gonna, you know, I can have intercourse and then plop out a baby. How hard can it be? No, like, you're trying, you're melding and molding a human brain, right? Like, Who actually takes it on properly, like the job it is, like that involves work and research and and knowledge, right? And so I think all of that combined, like my framing is, no, there probably there very much should be uh, uh, like people who help parents raise proper children. The education system could help uh, do that better as well. Um,
0: But to me, I want to. I, I want to make clear, right? Like it's, I'm not making the case that like, there's no such thing as bad parenting. right? <laughs> so it's like, uh, it's not um, trying to create sort of uh, the notion that like, you can't, you can do no wrong. There's a big difference between a good parent and a bad parent. I just mean that the idea that they can sort of get it done perfectly is not something I, I particularly agree with just because I know that as a parent, you have multiple other things, you're your own imperfect being trying to figure out all these things. I I've, And my belief is that when like, as it, as your own child is a completely different version of yourself, like the same way I still haven't figured out everything I need to figure out about how I need to organize my values, how I need to act, how I need to um, go forth in the world. Mm. And now the idea that I can figure all of that, that out for me, plus with this brand new child, be able to get it down perfectly. I just don't think that. I just think that's a level of perfectionism that's probably going to make you a worse parent than
1: a a good parent. Um, Well, so to me, it's basically like they are related issues, but it's basically a recursive function, right? So it's not about solving all of your kids' problems. It's about when your child starts to... the, The biggest issue that most of my peers have that stops them from being more of themselves, from being happier from being more self-actualized, is that they don't allow themselves to change as quickly as they should because they, they identify with their old views too much. They blame themselves and this sort of thing. And that's the same thing that happens in childhood. So it's actually just a recursive function. You have to, as soon as your child is wondering and, and debating things and contemplating, the way to be a quote perfect parent is to help them understand that it's okay to iterate that it's okay to change, whereas too many parents are rigid in their views, and so they want their kids to be rigid in their views, right? And so that's like, again, the, the sort of standard of what perfection is, has to be clear, because to me, it's that. No, you should teach your kid how to live in the world, which means how to be who they want to be. Right. Imagine if everything you're working through now and struggling to understand about yourself now, imagine if you were allowed and even encouraged to do that thinking at age 13 with guidance from people who'd also been comfortable enough to do that with themselves. Like to me, that's what perfect parenting would be. Right.
0: So fair. I think we're both I think we're both in agreement there. Um, the one, the one, the, the caveat I was, I guess, trying to address is that like, I've seen parents that did that job amazingly. Right. And like, they gave them their kids the right opportunities. They, um, talked them through ways to think through their problems. But for example, they, uh, I know someone whose parents are very successful. Right. Um, but, um, they themselves feel as if they have, they have to like fill in those shoes and that enough, that, that itself causes feelings of anxiety and issues with them. And I just think like, that's not their parents' fault. And in reality, seeing like it, those problems as a parent, like you're, you can't blame the parent for being successful. Right. Um, like the, right. the point that I was sort of trying to make is that regardless of the way that you do it, like, I think parents also have to keep in mind that like, even if you've done those things correctly, your child might still have other issues and things like that. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I slightly disagree, but like, I don't want to like, uh, yeah you know, be like, what is it? There's some phrase for like fighting over like minuscule issues or whatever, right? Because again, what we started this conversation with is like a lot of the issues we have now as adults stem from views and issues as children, right? So at some point in this friend of yours life, he started to have these issues uh, about an insecurity complex. So oh, I'll never achieve as much as my parents, right? Right. Mm -hmm. That didn't just flip into his mind at age 20 or 25 or whatever, right? So why was it that in his youth, when he first started dealing with this issue, he didn't feel comfortable to address it with his parents directly and that they could help him think through it and, and help him understand some parents are, some parents encourage their kids that. Like, oh, no, you we started from the bottom and so do you. Right. And they very clearly understand that they have to work hard and there's not some sort of additional difficult uh, metric to hit. Right. And so that's sort of the thing. That's the recursive function at play is when did he start having these issues? It could have been at age five. Who knows? But is it possible for a parent to set up an environment such that as soon as that's the case, they can communicate with their child about it. Or even you can probably find a list of top 10 neuroses that the average child has. Hey kid. I mean, that would probably cause more neuroses if you went through it every week with them as well. And I'm, I'm saying, it, it's, so it's not so simple, but again, like to bring it back to where we started, these all ori- originate in or many of these things originate in childhood or in young, adult, uh, like, you know, teenage, preteen years. And so where is the environment? I don't know anyone personally who had an environment at that age where they could honestly explore these things more often than not. It was like if they would like the stereotype I would think of is if a child at age 12 start talking about their insecurity because they don't want to have to succeed as much as their parents, they'd be called ungrateful for like, oh, look how hard we work and you're complaining, right? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. that's more the view, right? So um, I think it's interesting and important to highlight that, right?
0: And um, one of the, I guess a shame, I guess a plug that I'm going to put in there is um, one of the things that made me more open-minded to this was, and I talked to you about this before, uh, before we actually got on air, was uh, the show This Is Us. Um, partially because I was like, to people who don't know the show, uh, it's framed with, with a family and it sort of goes through, uh, some of the emotional troubles that they have and a full disclaimer. Um, I, I was laughing with a with a friend of mine that the show is a, basically a hundred percent emotion. Like it's all about the emotional troubles It's all about like different ways in which people think about things the wrong way and stuff like that. And you, And it clearly highlights, and I love the way that it does it, it clearly highlights from one person's point of view, how they might interpret um, different actions or different, uh, different things that other people say. And sometimes, um, and they do it really well, they show you how the intention might not have been there, but because of the environment, it gets bastardized in a way that someone takes it, takes, takes it poorly. And now, of course, um, there are like we can we've talked about this multiple times where it's like a good relationship uh, involves two people who both understand that the other person has really good intention. Um, but it, it very clearly showed me how like in times of stress and times of struggle uh, or um, it, particularly in your, in your childhood, uh, there might be a specific event that you had that triggers a an event that affects you much later on in the future. And you wouldn't even know it. And it, it's not mm-hmm. even something that you can blame the parents for because um, they wouldn't be privy to it. And sometimes even as a child, there's things that you know, like your parents are not going to fault you for, they'll sit there and talk to you with, but you don't want to bring it up with them, you know?
1: No, I think that makes sense. And that sort of segues nicely away from like the parent child relationship, which we've focused on into just childhood as such, right? Because yeah, now, like I agree, every child is probably going to be messed up by the stuff that happens in their childhood, right? You can have stuff totally out of your control. You can see a dog get hit by a car that's traumatic. You could, you know, whatever. Um, There's so many different things that can, at a young age, when you have a hard time conceptualizing, contextualizing stuff, you don't know how to deal with it. You don't know how to interpret it or integrate it. And then it's important, I think, like as someone ages and and becomes more self-aware, to really be reflecting on this stuff, to really, like, any time, right? I think, though, it, it sort of relates to how much do you actually have control to shape your own soul, to build your own personality, right? Because to me, I'm very much aware of who I want to be, and I'm very sensitive whenever something happens that is not in line with that. And so whenever that happens, I very... I very actively try and understand why. And sometimes I end up back at age seven, right? Um, and like, and it takes more work. And, and for some people, it t- might take more effort than it does for me because I've practiced it so much. But I think that's sort of the, the framing that's important for everyone to have, basically, is... But I think the reason they struggle with it is because they don't want to admit how much control they have over their own personality. They don't want to admit that they could change as much as they could. But for me, it's very clear. Like, I remember like shopping was always an issue for me, like going clothes shopping. And I was just reflecting recently, as I come to understand more about autism and stuff. Like, whenever I would go shopping with my mom, it was like a joke that I was always hide in the clothing rack. But like that makes sense if there was so much going on so much stimulation so many variables so many strangers I just wanted to hide right but like I didn't think of it then no one told me that's why but I'm trying maybe that's why like there must have been some reason I did it and maybe you hate right? shopping and you didn't know that the reason was because of all the extra stimulation as a kid right right whereas now even now when I go sh- like I'm even getting anxious to talking about it because it's like to like look at 10,000 items and decide which one which one out of 10,000 I want <laughs> (laughs) to purchase, right? That's crazy, right? Um, It's nuts. And so, but for me, it's, it's as adults, it's important to focus on that and to be open to that, right? And especially people have a hard time parsing out stuff that's like, you know, inconsequential versus consequential from their youth. And so they're, they're, they're scared to go back to that point at all, which really prevents them from moving forward. I do think a lot of people's issues, their roots are from childhood experiences. And the book I mentioned, The Drama of the Gifted Child, I'm I'm planning to read it for, I think the fourth or fifth time. And every time I read it though, it's specifically talking about the parent-child relationship. But even still, it like triggers like it's almost like an intensive therapy session when I read this book and it triggers like floods of memories from childhood. And so it's really interesting because like a lot of that stuff is stored, right? A lot of that stuff is still in your mind or in my mind or in whoever's mind, right? And so it's interesting to do that. And I would encourage like anyone who is really struggling in some aspect of their life, Like start from their first memory, go back to the beginning. I I don't know if I've mentioned on this show before, but during like one of my uh, mental health issues, I literally journaled my entire life. Like I started at age four and went my entire life until that day to reintegrate and reanalyze. And I've done that again with respect to romantic relationships, because that's something I particularly struggle with. And so like with any, you know, if someone's struggling to give up competitive sports, even though they want to, what was your first memory with competitive sports, walk yourself through it, and understand it as an adult, because that's the power we have, is I can actually change the way my memories are stored in my mind. Because, you know, when I was four years old, and I made some decision it wasn't with the knowledge and context I have now, but it's still there, and I can actually reach back, show that young self compassion, show that young self love, understand why he made the decision he did, but still change it, still say it was the wrong decision to make, and 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 work with it from there. Um, and it's extremely powerful. It's potentially one of the most powerful tools, um, but many people don't sort of know how to use it. Um, But I think it's, it's so important.
0: And there's a, there's actually an exercise uh, in therapy called a thought record. Um, And I find that thought records were especially um, useful when looking at thoughts that happened five, 10 years ago. Um, Because I've specifically seen where like, I can think back about this thing, and be like, oh, that's horrible. I don't want to look at it. I don't want to, like, I, I don't want to think about that stuff. That's like traumatic stuff that you don't want to, you don't want to really, really relive. But when I actually spent my time writing it out, a lot of it was like, what the heck? Like, this is traumatic. Like, this is, this is like stuff that happened when I was like, when, when I was a kid. And I'm like, and what the thought record walks you through is it, it tells you to like write down everything that you're feeling or everything that you're, uh, is going on in your head. And then it tells you to step back and be like, okay, what is, all the evidence for it? What is all the evidence against it? And then you sort of take a step back and you go, oh, wow, this is totally inconsequential. And it allows you to turn off that switch saying, hey, like this piece, this memory is not going to affect me uh, moving forward. And I particularly like a conversation that me and you had, which is about, I don't think people realize to what extent they can change their personality. Like, I do think like, the for me, I was an introvert uh, when I was young, and of course, I still have very introverted tendencies. But most people who know me would be like, "What? Winston's an introvert? Like that's preposterous." Um, but people who've known me as a child know, like, I couldn't present in front of people. Like, speech competitions were absolutely horrible and things like that. But only after going through and sitting down and thinking about, oh, like, who am I? Why do I not like this? What am I scared of? Who's the like? Who's the issue? And I almost did it by accident and it's, it happened because I was able to go into like from, I switched schools in elementary school. I switched, I went to a I, and went to the, like the right high school. But then when I went to university, I went to a university that no one else went to. And because of that, I was able to not bring all of the baggage I had as a elementary school kid or as a high school kid and be able to start brand new while I was, while I was in university. And I didn't realize that this is basically, um, I had done a version of, well, I had basically been able to switch my personality without looking through all of those, well, all those intrinsic thoughts, but now having fully gone through it, I understand why and how I can actually do that more actionably moving forward.
1: Yeah. And a a key word that comes to mind is identity for me. Right. And I think that's why people are so scared of doing this is because their identity is, tied up with who they've always been how they've always viewed themselves how their parents viewed them right and so to question these sort of more fundamental things that have been the way they've been all their life oh this is just how they are right they don't want to challenge them themselves i remember for example talking to my grandmother about my mom and being told oh that's just linda and I go, no, I refuse. I do not want someone in my life who does this thing. And Linda, if she wants, could change. But you know, the, the what makes it hard for an individual to change is when they identify with that trait themselves, either in a positive or a negative light. Oh, that's just how I am. I'm not going to change. I'm already however old I am. People say that at any age, though. I used to say that at age 16. Like, oh, I'm not changing. This is just me. And so it's the same excuse people use. And whether it's positive or negative, they identify with the trait, because it's comfortable to not need to admit how much they can change. And there's two things that come to mind really clearly for me with respect to identity. One is actually a play I saw in New York, which is now available on Hulu, and I recommend everyone check it out. It's called In and of Itself, Identity is an Illusion. And it's a really interesting sort of deconstruction of the notion of identity. Super cool. Um, I'm, I'm planning to watch it again. And two is actually one of my favorite quotes. I don't know if I've mentioned it on this podcast before. I may have in the last episode, but it's from Mr. Feeney, which is, um, if we let people's perceptions of us dictate our behavior, we'll never grow as people, Right. And I think that's a really big issue. And it ties into why people don't reflect. And when I think of the stereotypes, this comes to mind because you said you had a natural break. You went to a different high school. You went to a different university, right? And so you had an opportunity to try out a new personality, so to speak. That's why I like traveling so much is I could try out a new personality. It's very hard to be significantly different when everyone treats you a certain way. And I think many people uh, and people I talk to agree with me. You can sort of see, let's say, the people from your high school who never left their hometown versus the people who did and how similar they still are to themselves, which isn't necessarily the case. But when you're always in the comfortable environment, it's a lot harder to question, let alone change those behaviors. Multiple times in university, I tried to change. I wanted to change. And it was too difficult. And I just gave up because everyone was treating me a certain way. Um, and the, the, how this connects is it does connect to why do many people not want to change is because they identify with how they've always been. And like they don't even want to ask the question as to, well, how did I become this way? When and why did I become this way? Which is rooted in their childhood. The best example that I can think of that
0: proves this point for me is who i am when i speak a different language um I've so heard. when i speak in english i'm a very like i'm pretty um i'm pretty calm collected i'm like more straightforward and like uh, not as like off the wall i guess but when i speak in tamil uh because the culture is different and like the type of jokes and the way that you talk is different i'm a completely different character yeah um and there are times when i like have to catch myself and be like if I change the language in which I'm talking, I think I'm like, it's batshit crazy, like what I'm saying or like how I'm acting because this just wouldn't be me. Um, and it's really weird because um, especially when I talk to people I respect who are also, who also speak Tamil or like uncles and things like that, I am nowhere near as intelligent um, because I've learned everything and I've like, I've been able to talk and articulate in, in English. And so when I turn into, when I turn to Tamil, and say the exact same things, like the connotations off, the tonalities off, my mannerisms are all different. And I, I like, sometimes have to say like, hey, like, let me explain this in English. I promise it'll, it'll sound a lot more legitimate. Um, and that's not, it's not necessarily like a language barrier per se, but even like um, the friends who, the people that know me uh, who are like my close family and the people who know me as friends, um, there has been moments where like, I might pick up the phone and, and talk in, talk in Tamil. And the group around me who are all like my friends that I speak English with, they're like, who the hell was that guy? Yeah. Like that's not the guy that like, where did that come from? Right. Like you don't talk like that. You don't talk with your hands and do all that thing. Um, and, and it's, it's really interesting now, of course, um, the little caveat is I'm not totally different. Like, um, there are still some like intrinsic qualities that I have, like my ability to care for people and things like that don't change. Um, But there's a large portion that we don't realize is completely malleable based off of, um, based off of like the way that we grew up, who, who was around us. And by, by, uh, by that regard, it's also changeable in the same way.
1: Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I think for me, it's again, like I didn't have the sort of. Uh, stereotypical teenage years that many people had I was so intellectually obsessed with being an adult that like I never got it properly so I know like I never it was like when I was 25 when I started to like emotionally mature basically right um but for the average person it's around their teen years that they start to question these things and they start to think for themselves and and it's important to at that age know that, like you can sort of define who you want to be. And it's the stereotype of teenagers, like rebelling against the parents' expectations and trying to define who they want to be. But there's no real good guidance for how to actually do that. So they end up conforming to this group or that group or whatever it is. Like, you know, these are all kind of stereotypes. But what I would encourage anyone listening is, you know, if you didn't do that, if you don't feel like you actually properly, figured yourself out, even in those angsty teenage years, you can do it now. It's scarier, but that's what most people's midlife crises are, or quarter life crises, is going through that emotional development that you should have gone through as an actual developing person. Um, and so it's interesting when sort of the average person, if they're, especially if they're, if they only speak one language, or if they don't have sort of discrete chunks of their life that they can compare to one another, then it seems like it's a lot harder to do. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like, there's no perspective on like, what do you mean? I could be someone else. I've always been this. Whereas like for you, you can see, Oh, well, I have two personalities sort of for me, I had two personalities sort of right. And, and even now, like, I can tell when I'm sort of more like my old self or I call it like my mind's in autism mode, right? And I'm sort of like really riled up, can't really filter much, like that still happens. And I can sort of see that after the fact as like that's something that happens, but that's not necessarily me, right? Like the me I choose to be. Um, And it's, it's not about like rejecting some part of yourself, but the more you happen to have sort of this, wider context or like it, like you need to have a contrasting point to really understand the main point let's say right and many people don't have that so it seems really difficult but like you know it's important to still encourage them to to actually go through and address this and you know for me it's interesting that like i feel totally different from who i was 5 years ago like literally it's a different human being and many people at least have that when they think of themselves at age seven, right? So it's like, okay, I was very different then than I am now. How do I bridge that gap and figure out who I want to be? And probably many people, they want to be more like their seven-year-old self than their adult current self. But like, at least that could be like a context to frame against. And I think that's also why you see when people have their own kids they rethink their values and their and their life and stuff. It's not just because they have a new value. It's because they can remember what life used to be like, right? Because they're sort of, most people, it's heads down, oh, I'm 40 years old, work my shitty job or whatever. But then there's some kid who like loves the world. And it's like, I think I used to feel that way, <laughs> right? And so it's, it's, again, it's a contrasting point that helps you sort of feel more comfortable to navigate this and not, be so stuck in again the identity because it's like, well, my identity at age seven was definitely different than my identity now. So I at least know that I could be something else and I didn't, uh, like, and so it's I don't know. That's this is just an interesting way and I'm and thinking of it for the first time.
0: And I find um when we talk particularly about childhood, I think the younger you go, the better. Um, especially like I read, for example, 12 12 rules for life by Jordan Peterson talks about this how, um, as a child, depending on like the, the importance of having importance of teaching your child, how to fit in, how to treat adults and other kids around you is really, really important because it is, it is so vital to how it shapes your worldview. Because if you don't teach a child good manners, you don't teach a child how to be, uh, how to act around other human beings and things like that. Other human beings might treat them poorly or other human beings. Like, you know, how sometimes adults, they subversively, um, aren't nice to you. Like they won't like Mm -hmm. at least some kids like hit you in the face and then move on. Some, some kids like, Oh, like, yeah, Johnny's kind of cool. And like, as a child, you'll pay attention to that. And you sort of create this worldview of, Oh, people don't say what they actually mean, or that people, um, are, are, subversive and and the world is a nasty place Whereas someone who has good manners gets treated correctly things like that looks at the world wide-eyed and wide-eyed and goes oh my god this is a place full of opportunities and until you go back and check like was there this like uncle that you had or was there a specific person that always treated you poorly that shaped your worldview it's a I find it's a really good place to start um, to sort of knock you back in the right direction
1: yeah and I think you know people can either start sort of from the beginning or from the end right either if you want to what i did is i literally said like no i want to sit and reassess my life like i want to do that i think it's valuable and so i started the beginning here's my first memory here's my second memory or you can pick a specific realm right so i recently did this for romantic relationships going back to like my first crushes and stuff and trying to understand it or when something comes up in your life you can think okay This isn't the type of person I want to be. It's not the type of reaction I want to have. Let me figure out, okay, when was the last time this happened? And you can work backward all the way probably to, you know, these early memories. And I can know, oh, well, I had, I was recently talking to someone about sort of the way I was taught to think about each of my sets of grandparents and how they interacted with one another. And it's like, okay, did, was the information I was given accurate? Was it the right way to think about these groups of people and stuff? And, you know, I have my answer now, but it, like, it's in, so you can start at either end, depending on what's comfortable, depending on how you want to approach it. Um, but it's important. One thing I, I talked with uh, in some of my other content with, with someone about, um, you know, I basically at age 24 or 25, demolished my house was the analogy right? If if your personality is your house, right? I demolished it all and rebuilt it from scratch,
0: mm-hmm. which is not
1: what you want to do. And I think that's what people are scared of doing, right? Um, what you want to do is like renovate a room at a time, right? Mm-hmm. So pick something that like pick something sort of half inconsequential to start with, and say, okay, oh, I mean. P- p- the actual parent child relationship is like the most tough. So don't start there probably. Right. Mm -hmm. But, um, but like think of something that's always bothered you about yourself or something that's come up recently and just really try and understand that aspect of yourself and decide, is this what I want it to be? Oh, here, this corner of this room is nice and shined up. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's, I think, again, people are scared of, like all or nothing thinking, right? Oh, I have to change my whole personality. I don't like myself. It's like, no, well, let's just like change one aspect, right? Oh, you don't want to be late as much. You don't want to, uh, you know, you want to be more punctual. Well, how was punctuality viewed in your family? Did they ever care? Were they always late too? And like, understand the full context of your relationship with punctuality. That's, you know, tearing up the carpet of one bedroom. It's not demolishing the whole house. Right. And so I think whichever way they do it, it's important to emphasize that you can do it slowly and methodically. You don't have to like attack it all at once. Um, and I find that's also the best, um, because you start, you might
0: ask yourself one question about why are you, um, not punctual and when you start going, it's an, it's an easy way to start down that path of thinking about your earliest memories. Cause sooner or later it'll, 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 abstract into multiple different things where you're like, Oh crap, I forgot that memory. Is that why, is that why I don't take these things particularly seriously? Is that why I don't like family events? Like, and it's, it, it sort of opens up that door where you can start parsing through that, um, parsing through your house, so to speak.
1: Mm.
0: And, um, I, I find particularly that, um, There's actually a a song that um, is very similar to what you talked about. It's by uh, an artist named NF. And he talks specifically about this, about like rooms in his house that he has to visit with like trauma on the walls and things like that. Um, And it's funny, the song, he has to go open that door. And I actually think to your point, it's open all the other doors first to find out what are all the small little things before you go and have to go open up the hardest thing that you've had that you've sort of packed away um, for a long period of time.
1: Mm-hmm. And, and I think, uh,
0: and one other piece, and I find specifically culturally speaking, is for people who like, at least in my culture, it's not, um, it's not normal for people to move out, pre- like in their or in their late teens or early twenties. They usually stay when they're um, and wait till they either get married or they're going to start their life or they build up enough of a nest egg before they move out. One of the pieces of advice that I give to people who are in that specific situation is, move out. Like if you're having a tough time at home. Um, And you're like, and I find for us, especially people who are money oriented is like, Oh, like I'm going to pay $2,000 of rent and go live somewhere else. Or like, I'm going to pay a thousand dollars of rent when I could save that and like add that to my nest egg. I find that moving out is big enough of a change effect changes your family life. It changes your home life. It changes. And that's almost, I guess, making a radical change, but it's that change is so material and you changing the way like the way you wake up in the morning like having to take care of yourself it sort of pushes you out of that childhood and pushes you into adulthood in a way that I find is super helpful for people who find that they're stuck inside of their own homes it improves their like family relationships and then they start then they can actually start building their house from, from scratch when they move to the new um, the new place that they decide to live or uh, the new place that they decide to start their new world
1: yeah. And I think that is what I sort of one of the reasons I became sort of obsessed with traveling, because I remember I remember I was traveling with some people I had gone to high school with. I was at this point, 24, 25, and we asked some people we'd met at a hostel who they thought was the nicest out of us. And they said me and all of my high school friends laughed because in high school and in university, I was the dick like I was that person. And I was trying very hard not to be that person anymore. My high school friends couldn't see me in that light, still can't, right? Even after many years of practice. And it's interesting to, you know, I talked to, who was I recently? Yeah, I was recently talking to someone who says they don't think I'm passionate, compassionate or patient. And it's like, well, no, I know I am and I have certain friends who know how unbelievably patient I've been with them and how loving I am and this sort of thing but there's some people who may never be able to see me in that light and so there's something to be said about a new environment going to a new town or traveling for me it was like a one little one one week ecosystem meet people at a hostel be who I want to be and they have no preconceived notions about me right and I find it really powerful and it's in it was sort of For me, with everything I was going through when I was trying to really change rapidly, it was almost like, this. it was almost necessary to sort of uh, see in someone else's eyes, the person I wanted to be because most of the people around me refused to see it. Because you Mm -hmm. also have to understand as fearful as you are or I am or anyone listening is of changing their identity. Everyone else is as scared or more scared and so if they don't even want to acknowledge that you are changing, because then they have to acknowledge that they could too, right? And so it's not just like, it's not necessarily just ignorance or unwillingness. It's a fear on their part as well. Um, and so it's important to note that if someone is embarking on these journeys, especially if they're going all the way back to childhood to really root stuff up, um, like, and, and who, the, that's where it becomes the most difficult because who are the people that can let's say validate that you have in fact changed what would be your family, right? It it would, Mm -hmm. and they're the ones who are going to be most difficult to see it. Right. And a big thing for me with how much I've changed since university, there's very few people I'm still in touch with from that time. And it was like, I wanted someone from that time to see me to help me validate that I had succeeded. Right. Mm -hmm. Because again, if there's no contrast, no one I meet now will ever fully understand how much work I did, how much difficulty I went through, right? Whereas someone who knew me at that time can see the frame of reference. And so it's been particularly important for me to reconnect with my mom and talk to her about my childhood and how I was then and have her understand the context. Now that we both have a lot more knowledge about ADHD, anxiety, autism, right? Because it helps me feel sort of solidified in my view that, oh, it's not just my view. There is an objective measure. We're both agreeing with like this sort of, that's how I was. It sort of makes sense in this context, right? And so it's a very, I just went on a bunch of sort of side points, but it's so complex, so multifaceted. And so having something like travel or whatever it is, as a, like, it's like little test cases is really helpful if someone is struggling. Right.
0: And one key point is don't be afraid. If you travel once you try a personality per se, and you figure out, oh, damn, I totally screwed this up. Just move again. Right. Like I I can think of examples where I, I, I went on a road trip across Canada once. And I was like, Hey, like I've been this person my entire life. Like, let me try like, let me not be held down by, um, by preconceived notions from other people. And I tried being a more, um, a more different person on this road trip. I remember getting on this road trip and like halfway through being like, I don't like the guy I am anymore. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, this is not, this is not what I had in mind. And like, I'm, I'm doing things that aren't necessarily me or like, or that I want to be me. Um, and I gotten stuck in the same problem, which is like halfway through this road trip It was about two months. Um, the people who I'd gone on the road trip with, this is the only person that they know. Right. So yeah. when I tried going back to the other person, it just didn't work. No. And the only way I could do that was I had to, I had to move. I uh, not move, but I had to try a different scenario and like try a new different test case. And I found out, okay, like this is the perfect mix that I want to be, where sometimes I would be go too far on the compassionate side where I didn't put enough of my foot down, you know? Yeah. Um, and it, it's quite interesting because I know like, even for even for you, one of the things that at least for, um, one little, I guess, caviar disagreement that I have is sometimes the people that you want to say, Hey, look, damn, like damn David, you changed, or damn, Winston, you've changed. They won't, they won't see it. And you have to be sort of okay with that because yeah, yeah. I've had friends who like, um, I've reconnected with that were like, Oh my God, like, you're so great. I remember you being such a great, like we had such a great time during child, like childhood and all these other things. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, you hated me as a child <laughs> and rightfully so. Like I was not a good, like I was not, I was not particularly a well-versed child or I was not particularly a, a good mannered child. Um, and you sort of have to sit in that and be like, it's okay. Like someone might not necessarily see all the changes that I've, that I've gone through, but you have to be able to ha- be happy with who you are at that time.
1: No, I, I, 100% agree with that. Though I'll also add a positive spin as a counter example that There's been times where I've manifested something new that like I considered new in myself and a positive trait. And I had someone, uh, you know, who who I had a very good relationship with in the past recognize and tell me that, no, I always had that trait. Right. And like because, you know. When I was in this specific relationship with them, I did manifest this positive trait, even though I struggled to manifest it more broadly. And so that was really validating too. So they could say, "Oh no, you've not changed, but in a good way." Like, and and that was really powerful when those moments happened as well. But yeah, you have to be sort of individually focused, self focused, but you know, there is some benefit in getting these other perspectives, but you have to hold them for what they are. But like, that's just another example of yeah, oh, I haven't changed. But it's because in their view, I've always been what I'm now trying to become, which is like, that's so powerful, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Like that actually brings the smile to my face. Um, because like, it, it's it's a like, I, I can imagine how validating that might be, if you've like, you've given yourself shit your entire for your entire childhood about the way that you treated people. But in reality, those people could see that you were trying. Um, and they could see like, you know, you were a diamond in the rough at the point. Um, and like, I can like even just, I guess, vicariously through you, like through that person, I'm like, yeah, like, absolutely. Like, that would feel awesome. Being like, finally, you've made that change. Um, and finally, people can see all the potential that you had and how, how much you've manifested it.
1: And I think people like that and, and and points like that are important to highlight as well, because if someone is going to, or is about to embark or is in the middle of one of these explorations, and really you can sort of focus on all of the stuff you want to change or like, Oh, well, I wasn't perfect in this trait and I want to be better. And I at least lost sight of the positive traits I had had. And so it was useful for people to tell me, no, no, you did always have that. And I, Oh really? I used to be this way because you can kind of lose track, especially if you're digging up a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, any other uh, last thoughts that you had before we end off here? I know we went in a, in multiple different directions, so you can <laughs> yeah, so, <laughs> close multiple different thoughts. But
1: yeah, no, well, i I'll, I'll try and tie it back because basically, you know, we started with the idea of you know, childhood experiences and how important that is. And, and we went all over the place. But I think that in itself, I would say, uh, proves the point, right? Like, all of this is tied to how you are as a child, right? And the thing that's really interesting is I always or I often think of it in terms of like a vector, right? If If some, if, if some decision you made at age five was slightly different, Again, I mentioned it's like a recursive. It's it's like a machine learning algorithm. If something or a is- butterfly effect. What?
0: Or are you are you saying it's almost like the butterfly effect? Like this this thing that you made, uh, this choice choice that you made as a five year old affects something. No, I,
1: I, I, I'm more so mean it builds off of itself. Right. So you like, so it's not like the butterfly effect in terms of it's like, you can't know how wide ranging the things are. It's like, no, you can trace the trajectory of like, I made this decision at this age instead of that one. And all of these things related to that thing. Right. And so it's more directly relatable. Um, But so I just think to, to bring it all together, it is important to Understand where, how, and where all of this is rooted, right? And your identity now is one of two things it's either what you've decided it to be, or how what you, you have to be as a kid, and you just were right? And your personality is some combination of the two of those. And you want to shift more from one to the other, which is why this conversation short sort of had two threads, like identity, personality now, and stuff that happened to you as a kid. And those are the only options. You're either one or the other. And it's important for people to take control so they can be one. And and so that's sort of how I would uh, tie it together.
0: And I also think it's interesting how much how much sort of gravitas we put towards other environmental factors and saying oh it's okay because this person was um had x issue as a child and therefore it turned out to be this but we don't give enough gravitas to the fact that you as a person can also make decisions to change who you are the same way you made decision to be a nicer person the same way like if, if that wasn't the case right like What's the point of having friends? What's the point of having significant others? I can tell you to do things and stuff like that. If there's no way in which you can actually change that, um, so I think there sort of needs to be a shift in that. Um, of course, there are environmental factors. Of course, there are things that will affect the way that you manifest. But there's a large portion of personal responsibility, and I feel like that is sort of thematic in our in our, in our podcast. Of um, we don't give enough we we don't give enough credit to how much we can change ourselves if we just put our mind to it. Cool. Cool, David.